1: Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Damas Sunday for August 26th, 2018. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Yes, indeed. <coughs> Summer is flying by. And uh, pretty soon it's going to be Labor Day. And, gee, today's... Uh, start of a busy new term for our late program uh this is uh will be our lm 12 group uh there three of we had three groups last year uh lm 11 the 11th group to go through was so big that we made had to make two groups and this year lm 12 there's so many people we have to make three groups because otherwise if we just close up the class with only one group then all those people have to wait until the next year, so that's one problem that is a good problem when your program's successful, I guess. <clears throat> and everything's word of mouth. I know that past um, laymen, uh, inducted late, bright dawn lay ministers, uh, in their remarks in their local place in their dharma work, they make a point to mention. Well, my training. Was here and then you know talk about our program, and the reason we know is because when we people request an application for our program and some information, we send out about four uh, attachments. You know, say, telling about the curriculum, telling about our lay program, some questions and answers, uh, handout sheet, and an application form. And on the application form, the last question is, could you tell us uh, how you heard about our program? That's very informative because a lot of them say, Oh, so and so. And they mention uh, a Bright Dawn lay minister. He said he got his training here. So I checked it out. And, you know, so they're already listening to a Bright Dawn lay minister in their local locale. And they like what they hear in terms of how they present the teachings, how they personalize it, how they relate it to everyday life. Which is our niche, huh uh, so that's uh, well, and out of necessity, we have made sort of a hierarchy of uh, of our of our uh, I guess you call it teacher program curriculum, lay program curriculum teaching uh, and before for the first ten years, Adrian and I did you know, did everything and but now I don't do anything.
0: <laughs> Pretty good.
1: We have different program coordinators for each group and then they then we they schedule the the teachers, the the hosts for each course from our pool of Brighton Lay ministers. And uh so the program is uh I'm sort of retired from active involvement. In the courses, although I still call into certain groups, you know, certain groups, certain uh, courses, uh, my father's books and so forth. Uh, and uh, we have a last session is an overview session. Uh, we started this just a few years ago where um, they covered so many weeks of a, uh, say, Center Within or. Every day, such this, or my book, and then they, you know, they talked about their favorite teachings. But now, list them. Just list the, your favorite teachings. Say five of them, and then from those five, you know, from your past nuggets when you when you wrote your report and everything, you say, well, pick your number one teaching, the most impactful teaching for the. For that particular book, okay, and that's the last session. We call it overview session. So I call in to those sessions, and uh, so that I could keep keep touch with uh, the students, you know, and get a feel for how they're how they're doing, and in their doing, oh, I get a, I receive a lot of teachings, huh? Oh, this is what so-and-so picked up on. Gee, I had never thought that that was, for me, particularly impactful. But as they explain why it's their number one, ah, okay, this is very valuable, the diversity of peoples who have seen the same written – I mean, reading assignment and chapter or whatever, and they they all have – a little different take on it. That's how you really get to know something. I always use a use a, a example of. Let's say you got a teacup, and on the table, and you got a small group of people around it, and we say, okay, uh, give some remarks about this teacup. Now everybody's going to make some different remarks. Some will overlap, but if somebody comes from a is a ceramic artist. He's going to talk about that. And you say, oh, oh, yeah. Someone's going to say, oh, well, philosophically, you know, it's the emptiness in that teacup that makes it useful, fulfill its purpose. Usually we see it as an object, uh, you know, and a cup. But it's really the emptiness. You don't usually consider the emptiness inside the cup as part of the cup and how it functions, not just the, the noun of it as an object, okay? What the and like a room? If you see a house, a room, you know the walls, ceiling, the floor. But it's the space in that room that how it functions and so forth. So anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm to tell you a little bit about um. Uh, I was going through some material because my granddaughter and Adrian were were using some watercolors. They came. T- my grand, my son Tate, his wife Bailey, and their nine-year-old daughter Brooke. She turns ten tomorrow. <laughs> it was so we they came to visit. They live about three hours north of us. So they came to visit, and we kind of celebrated birthdays and whatnot. But uh, they were doing some watercoloring. And so Adrian asked me, hey, do you have any? We had a lot of brushes, you you know. So I went looking through some old boxes, trying to find the the box that might have held some of the calligraphy material and whatnot, and and looking around and... uh, and I found an old, well, it's a, it's called a tanzaku, which is a kind of like a Japanese holder for a scroll. Okay, there's, there's, of course, there's large scrolls that hang on the wall in there, you know. And then they have some writing on there. They also have um, shikishi, which is a sort of a 12-inch square cardboard, and it's white. Okay, maybe it has a little gold border on it, but this is Shikishi is a, then an artist, calligraphy artist would write a poem or something and they put their name and they put their their uh Hanko they call it in Japanese, their seal, you know, their and usually it's a dharma name, you know. They put it in red. Okay, said so this is the this is the author or the artist. And um then there's a tanzaku. Which is, oh, I'd say about mm, maybe 15, 16 inches long and only about 2 inches wide. Okay. So it's not 12 inches square like the shikishi, but the tanzaku is a piece of paper that uh, is long and narrow. And, yeah, you know, in Jap- Japanese um, language and written, the order goes from top to bottom not left to right, like in English. Okay. That's why it's oriented that way, vertically. So you start at the top of this Tanzaku paper and you could do your calligraphy and so forth. And then that can be inserted into a Tanzaku holder, which is usually you know, fancy brocade and, or wooden thing. And, and then that holder is hung on the wall there are different ways to uh, uh, display, um, well, wisdom, words, uh, teachings. Okay, one is where a whole sutra could be written in Chinese kanji and put on a formal scroll that hangs on the wall. Okay, or you could have a little shikishi holder, which is a you know for the twelve-inch square one. And there's, you know, could be wood or whatever. Some has glass on it, like a picture frame, okay? And then you might have a Tanzaku holder. You know, we we have a lot of brocade ones, okay? And even the the holders are, of course, uh, aesthetically pleasing and, you know, fancy or not, okay? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> i try to explain. I found a Tanzaku that I did. Uh, and uh, I don't remember doing it, but I signed it with my name. <laughs> and when it was spring of 1990, uh, and I was fooling around with trying to depict something, and it's what it says on the in very sort of like a like a light gray, very uh, diluted, uh sumi or calligraphy. Uh, and then on top of the, you know, for the Japanese, and for my name too, kanji. And then in black ink, I I wrote over it, like my name, Koyo, I see the two kanjis for it at the bottom in very light gray wash, and then black Koyo, K-O-Y-O, superimposed on top of the name. And the same thing for, the, for this uh, teaching. That's above it uh, there's there's a uh, three three kanji Chinese calligraphy uh, one is l- life, one is death, and the third one is oneness, so I wrote in a very flowing style with the black ink over these three characters: life and death are one, uh, and it looks pretty good. <laughs> and uh so I, I was looking at this and and uh and i was thinking a lot about it i know i wrote this uh and i'm going to maybe you know <laughs> uh, do something with it okay and i want to uh, it's a teaching personalized teaching from my past that impacts me in the present moment here. You know, um, just like there was a picture of when I got ordained uh, uh, in Japan, and I'm wearing a black particular kind of sort of a formalized robe, black robe, and tabis and uh, uh, special socks and Sandals and and of course they you have to shave your head and it's a ceremonial thing. Okay, I'm not a monk who they had their head shaved all the time, okay? well, which I do now, but that's another story. But there's a picture of me standing uh, when I, on the day that I got ordained in Japan, and I'm wearing this robes and I'm like I shaved the head. They have a barbershop, special barbershop in the the main headquarters where we got ordained and they, and they cut your hair for you. And then there was a large group of us. Uh, I don't remember how many now, but maybe a couple of dozen that got ordained on that particular day by the uh, bishop of this, uh, Higashi Honganji. And um, and then afterwards, my picture was taken. I guess my mom or dad was there. And, and I have a, someone found this framed picture of me uh, in our office area, you know, it's all junky. We got a lot of stuff piled up. But they said, "Hey, this is this is you." I said, "Yeah," and you wrote something on there, okay? And I wrote, I said, to Sunan. Sonnen. Sonnen's my given name. It's not an ethnic name really. It's a it's a made, creatively made up name that my parents did. They you know. They found a medieval word for the sun, and it was sana, S-U-N-N-A. And they put another N on the tail end to make it more uh, whatever. So, sanan, sanan. That's my English name. I don't know why. It was so, you know, my brother was Dawn, D-A-W-N. They didn't know it was a girl's name. He was born when my father and mom went to Japan in 1935, 30, 36 to study with his teacher, Reverend Haya Akegarasu. So my brother was born in, J- in Japan. Sometimes I asked him, where were you born? And he says, I don't know. I know I was born in Japan, but I don't remember the long <laughs> city and prefecture <laughs> address. I said, you don't know where you were born? <laughs> you know. Anyway, see this. They- my parents had a certain rationale about naming their children, and here's the dawn. Okay? Of course, my father's name, Gyome, means bright dawn, and of course, the name of our organization. Okay? But here's the dawn. Okay? Then here's the sun, me, okay, S U N. The sun comes up, and then everybody's happy. So, my, my younger sister's Joyce, first they were thinking just joy. Then they put the CE on it and made it Joyce. Okay. Uh, and then my brother, of course, he that was his name, Don, D-A-W-N, until he went to high school and got put into a girls' gym class. And then he legally changed his name to D-O-N. And that was a nice, easy transition from Don to Don. Um, so that picture of me in my ordination robes is now out. Somebody found it in you know, this storage stuff. I said, hey, this is you. And you wrote something there. I said, yeah, I wrote it to myself from my Dharma name ordained on this, you know, on this occasion. This is my, what the picture is. From Koyo to Sanan. So my Dharma name, my, that identity or selfhood is saying to my secular self, okay, the to Sanan on the top. And in the bottom it says, live the teach, never preach, live the teachings, the coil. So this was from a sacred religious spiritual perspective, giving advice to the secular layperson there, myself in both cases. And I don't remember doing that. So I looked at it. I said, yeah, that's right. I sort of remember. And that is a nice renewal. Okay. So when you look at your life, there's things that memories that stand out. Those are valuable uh, uh, personal teachings. And it has more impact because it comes from your life. It's, you know, and so this Tanzaku here, life and death are one, that picture. And I was thinking about these things. It kind of reminded me of related teachings and associations. And, boy, I was—I uh, got a lot of material there for me to work on. Okie dokie. Today's guest to give us a dimer glimpses. Dan, you know, we have a, mm, a protocol sort of. That uh, we don't use people's last name or where they live. Uh, We just say that we don't say the city. We just say the state, and um, we use only the given name and and then their dharma name if they have one. Um, uh, But uh, he doesn't have a dharma name yet because he's in the LM11 group. That's uh, you know he's going to get his lay ministry induction. Next next year, uh, but they can they are asked to do dharma give dharma glimpses, okay, which is you know good practice. Uh, that's a, that's a, our spiritual practice, a main one. Giving dharma glimpses, you know, a dharma glimpses not. We don't want people to, even though it's valuable in its own right, to talk about some Buddhist teachings. uh but the main emphasis is you take a teaching and how does it, you personalize it. Okay? How do you make it meaningful to yourself? Okay? And how does it relate to your everyday life, everyday activities? So sometimes you have an experience, whether it's a routine daily thing or something that happened that day, and then you said, hey, and then automatically you, start, you relate it to the Buddhist teachings. And that's what a Dharmagam says. So, it's not just talking about a Buddhist teaching. This is Buddhism, okay? not just the Buddhist teaching. When you say this is Buddhism, that means life, okay? your life, okay? and how the Dharma is manifested there. So, anyway, we just in case some people, you know, said uh, everything online is. Uh, you know, I'm preserved, <laughs> uh, and so privacy concerns, and things. so we didn't want to say their last name, even though some don't mind. Okay, and we don't say the city where they live, so we just say, you know, Coyo is going to give us the Dharma glimpse, and he lives in California, blah blah. So Dan, and he, since he's every uh, lay program inductee gets a Dharma name. Okay, if they don't have one already, okay it's okay to have maybe they were active in some tradition and they got a dharma name some from some other source. well, more there's better. You say, hey yeah, keep it. okay That's part of your life and your experiences okay? but if you don't have but bright dawn we give we started the yo lineage. Yo means uh, the physical sun which, of course, stands for wisdom and light and, okay, and compassion because, you know, warm compassion that is like the physical sun is the reason that our planet has life on it, okay? Otherwise, without the physical sun, our planet will be cold, lifeless place. So the sun is a a ubiquitous primal symbol in a lot of cultures, okay? Uh, We need that sun, (laughs) okay? uh for our earth to sustain life. But it also specifically in Buddhism stands for the you know the light of wisdom to see. Huh? Uh, so we use that yo lineage as one of the kanjis in the Dharma name. Koyo. Okay. And then we the first character is more personalized. But since they don't have it, I just say Dan he's part of LM eleven B group Okay, and he is going
0: to give us a Dharma glimpse today. Good morning, everyone. Um, My Dharma glimpse comes from a realization that I had just towards the end of this summer. So first, a little background. So my wife and I have six kids between us. I have three from my first marriage. She has three from her first marriage. And most of the time, they live with our respective exes. But during the summer, we have this six-week period where we have six kids for most of the time, and it's quite an adjustment to our schedule. And I, I caught myself towards the end of this period, constantly thinking, you know, subconsciously, but it kind of worked its way up to the front of just, man, I just can't wait for things to go back to normal. Oh, when are things going to slow down again? When is life going to get back to normal? And I caught myself and I realized there is no normal. This is just the way things are right now. I have no guarantee that life is going to go back to the way it was or anything like that. There is no normal. There's only right now. And I've really had this on my mind for the last couple of weeks since life has, quote, unquote, gone back to normal, right? But it's still different than it was. But it's so easy to make excuses for not doing things. It's so easy to, you know, just wait until things get back to normal or wait for things to slow down. Or maybe it's, I'm waiting until my kids get older. or I'm waiting for the weather to get better or, or whatever excuse the, you know, I might have to not do something today. Maybe it's taking better care of my health. Maybe it's meditation, you know, actually getting on the cushion each day. Maybe it's practicing being more attentive when someone is talking to me. It doesn't matter what the practice is. There's always that excuse, that ability to wait until things are better, wait until things are more calm, wait until things are, quote-unquote, back to normal. And I make these excuses all the time, and for some reason it just hit me a lot harder at the end of the summer that there is no normal. Today is all I have. So what am I going to do with it? I was reading this morning in uh, Stephen Batchelor's book, secular buddhism and this quote just jumped out at me he says in fact the practice of dharma is more truly akin to the practice of art with the tools of ethics meditation and understanding one works the clay of one's confined and tragic existence into a bodhisattva practice is a process of self creation and this relates to this topic to me because if i'm not practicing what am i doing You know, I remember back when I was in high school and I was a trumpet player. And, you know, one thing that my teacher told me every day that I went to class is, hey, are you practicing? Did you practice today? How many hours did you put into practice this week? And it was obvious those students who practiced more are the ones who had the better chair. And it's something that, you know, we can apply to life in general. If we're not practicing, well, we're not engaged in that process of self-creation. So to close, just a, a quote also from the Dhammapada that I think relates to this. In the Dhammapada, we read, Even a single day of a life lived virtuously and meditatively is worth more than a hundred years lived wantonly and without discipline. A single, day's life as a, or a single day's life of a wise and contemplative man is worth more than a hundred years lived wantonly and without discipline. A single day's life of one who puts out great effort is better than a life of a hundred years lived in idleness and sluggishness. A single day's life lived by a man who grasps the impermanence of all conditioned things is worth more than a hundred years lived in blindness and ignorance. A single day's life of one who sees the deathless state is worth more than a hundred years lived without perceiving it. A single day's life of one who sees the truth is worth more than a hundred years of not seeing the truth. Today is important. It's really all we have. So the challenge I have for myself and I have for all of you listening to this is don't put off practice, no matter what that practice might be. Again, maybe it is meditation. Maybe it is, you know, practicing right livelihood or any other of the the steps of the Noble Eightfold Path. Ask yourself each day, what will I do today? How will I practice today? Because in the end, that's all we have. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. As I listen, uh, I was thinking, yeah, you know, uh, there's some teachings that 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 I have made my own that have made impact on me, and but they're general, broad teachings, and uh, everybody, you know, kind of. Uh, different ones grab different people at different times in their life and different situations and so forth. But I remember one teaching uh, by Dogen was practice is enlightenment. Um, Or the, the great Mahayana phrase of samsara is nirvana. Okay. Hell is heaven. <laughs> you know, usually see, you think of practice uh, as a means to an end. Uh, subject, object. Hell and heaven are completely opposites. But here's this teaching. Practice is enlightenment. Samsara is nirvana. Uh, what's going on here, you know? Uh Dan said that one of his statements that jumped out at me is he said practice is self-creation. Did you ever hear something like that that exactly expressed that way? When you're doing spiritual practice, okay? Is self-creation. So if you practice even in the secular music sense, okay, musicians have to practice creating yourself as a musician. Uh and you know that your musicianship or if you're if you're you know graphic artist or something, painting or sculpture, you know, uh whatever it is, it's not generic in the sense it's you. Okay. Even though if you make a copy of or inspired by some masterpiece or something, okay, uh this is you. Okay. When you say something like normal or average or, you know, uh, we have to adjust to the certain standards or something like this. Yeah, this is a great teaching. Okay. There's no normal. Okay. Because if you talk about normality, then there's certain expectations isn't there. Some shoulds. And as the dharma Glim said, <laughs> gives you excuses to say, oh, well, i got to, I can't do this. i got to wait until things settle down, okay, Uh, back to normal. Uh But uh, that's where we're going to get all in trouble, where our language and our terminology, which is very useful. Of course it is. But the hooker is when you mistake those conceptualizations uh, for the reality that they're trying to talk about, okay? The language in the terms is different from what they refer to, which is alive your life okay? and uh this is the big lesson, okay? otherwise, we think, oh, this is the means to an end, oh this oh things are either great or terrible, huh? as though those things exist out there okay, okay. life and death are one. Can you unpack that? Can you get your mind around that teaching? I'm being challenged by a teaching from thirty years ago <laughs> my own my own writing challenging right now, saying, "Hey, huh, what does that mean to you? Life and death are one, okay What does it mean? There's no normal. Uh, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day.